You're listening to Life in the A-Zone podcast. I'm Peggy Sweeney McDonald, and these are my stories of moving back to my hometown in Louisiana after 36 years to live with my father and mother when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. These lessons of love, laughter, life, and loss are gifts of living in the A-Zone, and I'm honored to share them with you. If this is your first time here, begin the journey with Episode 1 and go forward. Thank you for joining me today. Today I find my mom at the memory care unit sitting at a table in the middle of the kitchen area of the dining room. This is where they serve the food for the residents who sit at assigned tables around the dining room. My mom has never had an assigned table. I find her sitting at different tables every time I'm here. I have no idea why. She stopped eating a few weeks ago, so they are watching her, which means she gets extra attention for her food issue or her lack of food issue. A plate of chicken, rice, and green beans sits in front of her. I know she can't possibly eat this food as she has lost her top dental bridge teeth and can no longer put in her bottom bridge teeth. It's ridiculous. How can my mom chew with only a few top and bottom teeth? She doesn't look pretty anymore without her teeth. I want to take her to the dentist to get another top bridge made and get the dental assistant to teach her how to put her bottom teeth in, Dad told me last month. Dad, that is crazy. She will just lose the bridge again. It's not worth the $2,500 to get another bridge made. He sighs and shakes his head sadly. I don't know what is more heartbreaking to see, mom with no teeth or dad pleading his case to all of us girls. My sisters tell him the same thing. Dad, don't waste your money. She will just lose the bridge again. Dad, it's not a good idea to take her out of memory care, they tell him. I lean down and give mom a hug. She just looks at me. I don't think she knows who I am today. I hate it. I walk down the hall to get her a protein drink from her refrigerator. Dad has stocked the fridge with yogurts, protein drinks, jello, soda, bottled water, and juice boxes. Kelly has stocked the kitchenette with a large carton of goldfish and individually wrapped cookie snacks. I've brought some of her favorite movie candy and some mints. Everything is untouched. Mom doesn't eat or drink these things because she doesn't remember they are here. I'm sure she doesn't even know what the refrigerator is. The only time she consumes these snacks are when one of us is here to give it to her or try to give it to her. Sometimes I stuff my face with the goldfish snacks as I'm usually here around dinner time. They are addictive. You can't eat just a handful, so it's handful after handful of goldfish. Mindless eating is my specialty these days. I could request a plate or eat her untouched dinner, but I never do. It just doesn't seem right. I grab a small peach yogurt, a chocolate protein drink, a cranberry juice box, and walk out making sure to lock the door so other patients don't intrude in her room. We have learned the rules. Lock the door. This is probably the reason her clothes, her robe, her favorite pink blanket, and some of her shoes are missing, even though we have stamped her name on everything with the two Sherry Sweeney stamps Kelly ordered. 
Surprisingly, the stamps aren't missing, but one doesn't work. It dried up in the short time she's been here. We were told by the staff that Mom has walked into another room and climbed into the bed. They found her sleeping and had to fight with her after waking her up to move her to her room. She was so angry at us. They told us, "Lock the door" is now imprinted on my brain. I hustle back down the hall and sit with Mom at the table. A caretaker gives me a straw, and I hold up the protein drink to her mouth. She takes a few sips and then shakes her head. I distract her by talking to her for a minute and then try the yogurt. It's peach, Mom. We love peach yogurt. I say, smiling. She takes two bites and she is done. I hold the juice carton to her mouth and she tries to suck from the straw but doesn't suck long enough. Suck harder, Mom. And she tries. She gets a few drops. I try holding it up to her mouth again. I'm so frustrated. This is probably the best we can do today. Pathetic. I feel defeated. My mom is wasting away right before our eyes. When she moved in here, she was a size 14. Now she's in size 12 clothing, which hang on her, so she's probably a 10. She has lost 20 pounds since moving here four months ago. <laughs> Maybe I should move in. I need to lose twenty pounds. Peggy, please go shopping with Dad to get her some new clothes. All of Mom's clothes are hanging on her. Her pants were falling off of her today. Shannon tells me. I went back to the local Goodwill and bought smaller sizes of pull-up elastic pants, cotton shirts, and nightgowns. I'm amazed they get Mom to wear nightgowns to bed. It's a rule here. All residents have to have night clothes on, or we get written up by the morning caretakers. Tiffany, the evening caretaker, told me, "I can only imagine the fighting they have to do with Mom, but maybe they have the magic touch as they are trained to do this." The caretakers who work at this memory care are wonderful, and they all stop by the table in the kitchen and give Mom some love. Sherry Berry, they exclaim as they hug her and make small talk with her. She smiles back. She loves the attention, and she loves that they call her Sherry Berry. Do you want to go watch the news, Mom? We are getting ready to have Christian devotion in the living room. Dina announces enthusiastically. Dina, a beautiful, loving, and vivacious woman, is always dolled up with makeup, fake eyelashes, and long nails. I love her energy. She's very attentive with Mom. I can't imagine spending the time to get all dolled up to work here. I can barely pull it together to wash my hair twice a week and only wear makeup if I'm going somewhere in public. Dry shampoo is my dear friend these days. Sounds great, Dina. I could use some devotion. I tell her as she hugs me and Mom. I walk Mom into the living room and we find two chairs along the wall. The caretakers move all the residents into the living room. Many of them are in wheelchairs. Some seem totally out of it. Some are pretty alert, and some don't stop talking, but they don't make any sense. One woman who only seems to be about fifty curses and screams constantly. I think her dementia is some form of Tourette's. They walk her to her room, and she curses right down the hall. Other times, she's sitting in her room with a door open wide, singing the same song verse over and over. It's maddening.
She's terrible, Mom says. This is the first time she's spoken to me all evening. Dina reads from a Christian prayer book with a beautiful message of hope, then leads everyone in prayer. She ends the fifteen-minute devotion singing "Amazing Grace." Mom and I join in. It's unbelievable that Mom can barely talk, but she can sing, and she remembers the words of the first verse of "Amazing Grace." This is amazing. It's now six thirty p.m., and the caretakers begin taking the residents to their room to get them ready for bed. Tiffany, who's one of my mom's favorites, comes over and helps mom stand up, then takes her by the hand like a little child. I hug and kiss mom goodbye. I love you, mom. She surprises me by saying, "Love you too." I stand watching as they walk slowly down the hall before I turn and walk out of memory care. I get in my car in the parking lot and blast the radio. I scream and hit the steering wheel over and over. I hate you, Alzheimer's. This is not fair. I want my mom back. I look up and see an elderly gentleman standing in front of my car. He looks concerned. I'm okay. I mouth, and he nods his head, knowingly smiles, and turns towards the entrance, probably going to see his wife. I'm not okay. I feel like I'm going insane. I text my sisters. We need to tag team, go on to see mom every day, and make sure she has some protein drink, yogurt, and juice. She is wasting away and is weak. She barely spoke tonight. They all text back. Okay, Peg. Thanks for letting us know. Thanks for going, Peg. I'll be there tomorrow. I drive home. I'm not crying tonight. I'm just pissed. I'm angry at the world. This is a cruel, freaking way to die, a cruel way to lose my mother. I hate my life. I walk into the house. Jimmy hears me and comes down the stairs. He can tell by the look on my face that it has been a rough night. He embraces me and says, "Twenty-two seconds." Yes, I croak. And the tears begin to flow. I know he means a twenty-two second hug. We read somewhere that if you hug for twenty-two seconds, it changes your brain. It releases serotonin, and you drop from your head to your heart. It works sometimes, but I'm not in the mood tonight. He's holding me extra tight and counting. I pull away at twelve seconds, resisting his comfort. That wasn't twenty-two seconds, he says. I'm hungry. I need to eat. Let me find something for dinner. I bark. I'm too tired to cook. Dad walks into the kitchen. How is your mom? He asks. I fill him in and tell him she barely ate again. I'll pick up some more protein drinks and yogurts. He says. Peach, Dad. Peach. It's her favorite. Does it really matter? Peach, coconut, strawberry, whatever. <laughs> she really gonna eat them? We are grasping at straws. What does it matter if she eats or not? She's not going to get any better. Jimmy lectures us. He has seen it firsthand as his dad wasted away in a New York nursing home over three years. Dad and I just ignore him. I pull out two cans of white albacore tuna fish and throw in some mayo, spicy mustard, celery, and relish, mixing it up in a plastic bowl. We sit at the table eating tuna sandwiches on toasted English muffins. 
We barely talk. We just sit there chewing our food. We have no energy for chit-chat. Did you go see Mom today? I asked Dad to break the silence. No, but I'll go to the store to buy the things she needs and go tomorrow. Dad is exhausted from the grind, and he can't make her eat. He told me she turns her head when he kisses her and tells him she hates him. You put me here, she said to him a few weeks ago. He feels ashamed. He sits by her side and tries to talk to her. He tells her what he's been doing, what the girls are doing, what the grandkids are doing, whatever he can think to say to fill in the empty space. How much can a spouse take? My sisters and I are all worried about his health. He needs knee surgery on his left knee in the worst way. He hobbles these days but refuses to use a cane. The long walk from the parking lot at Memory Care to the front door and down the long halls is grueling for him. Do you want to watch Netflix, I ask Dad after dinner? Jimmy heads up to his den to watch his CSI reruns, The Godfather, or Goodfellas for the umpteenth time. Dad and I have our little routine now. We sit and watch whatever streaming series we have decided on. He pushes his big chair over near the TV, and I lay on the old green sofa. As one show ends, another starts. I hit pause in the program and head to the kitchen to get us water, hot tea, cookies, cake, or candy. Sometimes Dad requests another glass of wine, or gets up and makes himself a whiskey on the rocks. We watch the shows with subtitles, as my dad can't hear very well, even with his hearing aids. Streaming TV is our group therapy, and for those brief hours, we don't think about Mom and the Big A. The TV sucks away all our thoughts, including the sadness, the confusion, the anger, the regret, the dread, the good, and bad memories. We are grateful to release it. Unfortunately, at 10 p.m., we turn off the TV, turn out the lights, and head to bed. Soon, it all comes downloading back to my fried brain, and I toss and turn before I fall into a restless sleep. Dad and I always say goodnight at the bottom of the stairs. I hug him, and he thanks me for fixing dinner. Dinner was great, he says as he turns into his room, and I head upstairs. Dad always thanks me for fixing dinner, even if it's just a bowl of canned soup or a tuna sandwich. I try to cook several times a week and make enough for leftovers. Sometimes I just make breakfast for dinner, eggs, sausage, biscuits, or English muffins. Dad and I always laugh <laughs> as we recall the days when growing up, I would pitch a fit if Mom made breakfast for dinner. Breakfast for dinner? That's gross, I would say as I stormed around the house like the teenage drama queen. I think now how spoiled and ungrateful I was as a teenager. How did they put up with me? Jimmy is horrified to hear this story. I loved it when my mom made breakfast for dinner, he says. Shut up, I tell him. Forget about it, he says, and we laugh. A week later, I'm back at the memory care, and I find mom in the living room near her room. She's sitting there staring into space, tapping her fingers above her mouth. Mom? She just looks at me. It's heartbreaking. I go to her room and get yogurt and try to feed her a few bites. She looks horrible, pale and weak. I go back to her room and get bottled water, pour some in a cup, grab a straw, and bring it to her. She takes a few sips from the straw. Do you want to go lie down, Mom? Nothing. I help her stand and walk her slowly to the room. As we get close to the bed, 
I turn her around, back her up, and sit her on the edge of the bed. She falls back limp as a doll onto the pillows, and her eyes roll back into her head. Oh my God! I run down the hall and see Nurse Crystal, who's at our cart dispensing meds to the residents. Something's wrong with my mom, Crystal. Can you please come check her blood pressure? She grabs her blood pressure cuff and follows me. I run back down the hall. Mom is just lying there, staring at the ceiling. Crystal takes her blood pressure and says, "Let me check again." And then she says, "I think you need to take your mom to the emergency room. Her blood pressure is way too low." I text my sisters and dad. Aaron texts back. Scott and I will come pick you and mom up. We're on the way. Meet us at the front door. I run down the hall to get a wheelchair, and one of the attendees comes to help me lift mom up and get her into the chair. Not an easy task, as she is dead weight. Mom has no color now, and I feel like she's dying. Dad and the other sisters text back. Take her to the emergency room. We will meet you there. I wheel mom down the hall into the elevator and out the entrance. Aaron and Scott are already there and help me get her into the car with one of the caretakers. I jump into my car and follow them. Thank God the hospital is just a few miles away. Within minutes, we are at the emergency room and are escorted right in as my sister Kelly, the doctor, has called ahead. They only let one of us at a time go back with her, so we take turns coming in and out, passing off the permit badge sticker. It's crowded and no rooms are available, so they have mom in the hallway on a gurney. They take blood for tests and put an IV into her arm to get fluid started. She is extremely dehydrated. She looks confused, like a little lost child. I'm with her when they wheel her in to get a chest X-ray and ultrasound. Two nurses come up and say, "We need a urine specimen." <laughs> Good luck with that, I reply, as I can't imagine trying to get Mom to pee in a cup. They roll their eyes at each other and take her into her room to insert a catheter to get the urine specimen. I can't watch. It hurts me to even think about it, and Mom screams with agony. I hold her hand and say, "It's going to be okay, Mom. It's going to be okay." Her urine is brown, clearly a bad urinary tract infection, which I learn is common for Alzheimer's patients, as they have bad toileting habits. The UTIs cause bacteria in their blood, and they become disoriented, become weak, and can exhibit crazy behavior. At 11 p.m., Mom is still in the emergency hallway, waiting for a room so that she could be admitted. Shannon volunteers to stay for the night with her and sends Dad and me home. Mom isn't admitted to a room until 1:30 a.m. It's a nightmare. Shannon's up with her all night. She keeps trying to get out of bed and picks at her IV. I barely sleep that night. When I wake up, Dad has already left for the hospital. I get dressed and go into Mom's bedroom closet to grab a pair of pants, a shirt, and a cardigan sweater for when she leaves the hospital. This was an outfit I didn't bring when we moved, Mom, as I thought it was too fancy for memory care. Plus, the sweater has to be dry cleaned. I head out the door at seven thirty, stopping at McDonald's for egg McMuffins for everyone and a giant coffee to drink in the car. As I walk in the hospital, Mom looks seventy-five percent better. And is sitting up talking to Dad. I kiss her. I bought egg McMuffins. I ate your mom's breakfast as she only had a bite of the grits. Dad says. I went down to the cafeteria for breakfast when Dad arrived. Shannon says. I'm on a diet. Aaron quips. Kelly texts us. I'm on my way. The doctor wants to speak to all of us at nine a.m. 
I wonder what that means. I sit eating my now cold egg McMuffin. At 8.30, Kelly, Jimmy, and Aaron's husband, Scott, all arrive. A Catholic priest arrives to give Mom the last rites? What? Our eyes dart around looking at each other as we gather around the bed to pray the Our Father with the priest. Mom likes the priest. She smiles at him and takes the communion. We have no idea what is happening. All of the sisters are crying. My dad looks stunned. Is this really happening? Is mom dying now from Alzheimer's, starvation, or a urinary tract infection? We are all in a daze. Jimmy and Scott joke around with mom, and she laughs as we wait for the meeting with the doctor. At nine o'clock, the doctor arrives with a team of four, including a woman from hospice care, and they take us into another room. Jimmy and Scott stay with mom. The conversation with the doctor is a blur. He tells us mom is not ready for hospice, but it could be soon. How soon? Kelly asks. It could be weeks or months. We never know. Don't force your mom to eat. She could choke and then get pneumonia. Offer food, but don't push it. We will keep her here for another day for the UTI and continue treating her with antibiotics. The doctor suggests palliative care, which is the step before hospice care. They will come one or two times a week and help mom bathe and do some exercises to keep her muscles moving. The hospice representative gives us a pack of information and explains that once we place mom on hospice care, she can no longer be admitted to the hospital. If she should get another UTI or anything else, she would just be given meds to keep her comfortable. The doctor had an amazing bedside manner and the hospice rep was lovely. My sister Kelly knows the doctor and says he is the best. We walk out of the room stunned. This is happening too fast. My mom has only been in memory care for four and a half months. Sherry, leave the IV alone, Jimmy is telling mom as we enter back into her room. She doesn't ask where we've been. Thank God. She is oblivious to what is happening here. Everyone begins to bail out to head back to work. Dad wants to go get his hair cut, so I agree to stay with Mom. She sits upright in the bed, and I climb in next to her, and we watch TV as she continues to pick at the tape, holding her IV. Mom, don't do that, or the needle will come out. You need the fluids. Why? To make you feel better. I feel fine. I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, Mom, I'll help you. I unplug the IV station from the wall and walk with her, pushing the IV pole. In the bathroom, I notice she has an adult diaper under the hospital gown. She pulls it down and sits on the toilet. I stand there while she does her business, and when she finishes, she begins to wipe herself from back to front, which is the reason she has the UTI. Mom, let me help you. Let me do it. She gets furious with me. What are you doing? I can do it. Get out of here, she yells at me. Fine. I don't know why you won't let me help you. I'm leaving. I'm shaking and standing outside her bathroom door, which I left cracked open. I hear her moving, and after 30 seconds, which seems like forever, I open the door saying, Mom, are you okay? She stands in a pool of blood with her IV hanging down from her arm. There is blood everywhere, on her hospital gown, streaming down her arms and hand, blood all over the bathroom floor. It looks like she's tried to commit suicide. I lose it. Oh, my God, Mom, what have you done? I scream at her. 
She looks at me startled and scared. I run to her hospital bed and grab the assist button and scream, Please, come help me. My mother has pulled out her IV and she's bleeding like crazy. We will be right there, the nurse replies as Mom comes walking out of the bathroom, trailing blood. Mom, stay right where you are. The nurses are coming to help. You don't have to yell at me, she says, and she starts to cry. She stands there looking like a little girl who has been scolded for getting caught putting her hand in the cookie jar. It's pitiful. I start to cry as the nurse and two nurse assistants run in. They calm Mom down and stop the bleeding. One goes to get a mop and pail. One goes to get a wash pan of soapy water with a stack of towels and washcloths. Mom now stands naked next to the bed on a towel while she is bathed by the nurse assistant. I watch as washcloth after washcloth covered with blood is dropped on the towel. My mom looks like a bag of bones with folds of skin hanging down. She is lost and confused. Let's move her into a room across from the nurse station and then put in another IV, the nurse says to the assistants. I stand shaking and crying. I feel horrible about screaming at her. I completely lost it instead of being the concerned daughter, the adult caregiver. I can't do this. As they finish getting Mom back in bed with a fresh adult diaper and gown, I text my sisters what has happened. Shannon, who's always the voice of reason, takes charge as she always does. I think it's time to get Mom out of the hospital. She was picking at her IV all night long. She will just pull it out again. Let's get her back to memory care, she texts. Good idea. I will get her dressed and tell the nurse, I text. Scott and I will come get her and bring her back to memory care, Aaron texts. I go to the nurse station and tell the nurse we want them to release her, and she doesn't argue with me. I'll let the doctor know, she says. I'm sure they can't wait to get us out of here. I pull out the clothes I found in her closet that morning, the bright yellow pants, the pale yellow cotton shirt, and the pretty lightweight yellow, black, and white floral pattern cardigan sweater. Mom, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. I love you, Mom. I love you, too, she says quietly. Good news, Mom. We're taking you back to your apartment, and I brought this cute outfit for you to wear. Oh, I forgot about this sweater. I loved it. I help her dress, and she puts the yellow pants over her adult diapers. I brush her hair and wipe her face. I pull out some lipstick from my purse and put lipstick on her. You look beautiful, Mom. And she smiles. We hug again. The nurse comes in with release papers, and I sign them. She goes to get a wheelchair, but doesn't come back. And Mom is restless. She doesn't want to wait. Let's go, she tells me. Miraculously, we hold hands and walk out of the room, down the hall, into the elevator, and out the main entrance. Mom looks adorable in her pretty yellow floral outfit. She's smiling and actually has a spring in her step. I see Aaron and Scott's car pulled up in front of the entrance. There you are. Look how cute you are, Mom, Aaron says, and gets out of the car, hugs Mom, and helps her get into the front seat. We've got this, Peggy. I call the memory care, and they will be waiting for us to take her in, Aaron says to me. She can see in my eyes that I am still traumatized.
Thanks, Aaron. Bye, Mom. See you tomorrow, I say, choking back tears. Aaron hugs me and gets in the car. I watch them drive away. I feel like a total failure. I walk to my car and drive home in silence. I pull into the driveway, walk into the house, up the stairs, into our bedroom, and crawl under the covers, sobbing. The image of my mother standing there with the ivy hanging from her arm and blood everywhere keeps playing over and over in my mind. Will this be the image I see when I remember my mom after she is gone? Just shoot me now. The reality is that I don't want my mother to suffer anymore. I know Mama hates living like this. This horrible disease is going to take her. There is no hope for recovery from Alzheimer's. Slowly, surely, my mom is dying. The only thing I can do is pray she won't suffer like the last 24 hours. I need to show my mom how much I love her through the limited time she has left. Will she forgive me for the outburst today? Will she even remember it? I have been fighting her disease. I can no longer fight against mom's Alzheimer's. I am raising the white flag. I surrender. Thank you for joining me for Life in the A-Zone. Look for new episodes each Wednesday. Please share, subscribe, like, comment, and follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To join my mailing list, go to lifeinthea-zone.com and check out my best-selling book, Meanwhile, back at Cafe Dumont, Life Stories About Food, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble.